electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be with my friends just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The hatred for this market, okay, it knows no bounds. And I can't blame the haters. Every time you get comfortable, someone pulls the rug out from under you, which is how you get a not-so-hot day like today, where the Dow slips 177 points. That's been declined 0.75%. NASDAQ lost 0.72%. Part of the big rally last week came from the financials. How great was that to see? Specifically, the terrific comments made by Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan. He talked up the consumer. How is banks doing well in this environment where the Fed's rate hikes should make that company more instantly profitable? It sounded fantastic! (laughs) Then today, Diamond talked about how an economic hurricane could be coming our way. So we all better brace for the disaster. (laughs) What the heck happened to the halcyon era for the banks? He mentioned a week ago. Did the sunshine turn to gale force winds and treacherous rain in just a few days? I think he crushed the market with his comments. He giveth and he taketh away. Whatever the reason, when CEOs are painting such an inconsistent picture, you end up with a market like this one that moves in fits and starts with aggravating ups and downs. They actually left the S&P 500 basically flat for the month of May. Oh, it's very easy, very easy to hate this one, especially if you're playing the ruinous game that so many younger investors turned out to be playing. We all know the classic examples, meme stocks like AMC, the movie theater chain that was at $62 last year, $62, but now trades at $12. After a brief blip up to $16 just yesterday on the strength of Top Gun 2 box office numbers, the run in AMC was spearheaded by CEO Adam Aaron, who remains predictably positive on the stock. It certainly is right. Uh, it's been his right the whole way down. Darn thing took a 10% hit today. Or how about this? Let's just think of some of these. Let's just, you know, look at the parade of horribles here. How about GoodRx? There's a good one, right? GoodRx. We had them on a bunch of times. Prescription uh, drug uh, discount app. 
It traded at $47 back in October of last year. And now while it's at seven bucks, Teladoc, which has fallen from 154 last November, $32 now. Oh, how about, uh, let's throw in Carvana, used car retailer. Seen its stock plunge from $370 last August to $26 today? Don't forget the electric vehicle cohort. Lucid's gone from 55 to 19. Rivian's fallen from 172 to 30. Fisker's fallen from 23 to 10. By comparison, Tesla's been a trooper, but even that sunk from the 1200s to the 700s. Then there are disastrous battery and charging station stocks. QuantumScape, 40 to 11. EV, EVgo, 19 to 9. ChargePoint, 35 to 12. Don't forget the revolutionary stocks. Roblox is going to disrupt the entire gaming ecosystem. 134 to 29. UiPath is going to automate office jobs. Fall from 81 to 16. Although it's jumping after hours, they'll make up a better than fear quarter. Finally, there's fashion. Stitch Fix from 66 to 8. Rent the Runway from 19 to 4. Poshmark, 51 to 10. Ignominious Real Real, 22 to 3. Allbirds, 29 to 5. Warby Parker, 60 to 16. So what distinguishes these companies, aside from their disastrous performance and the fact that almost all of them lose money? Simple. These stocks are where the pain is really concentrated in this market. Because in many cases, they have almost nothing to fall back on. There's no buybacks to buoy them when they're down. Instead, they're often serial issuers of their own stock. There are no dividends, something a growth-obsessed buyer who used to love these things looked down on because they're for old people. Those are old people's stocks. There's no sponsorship to speak of. Nobody any brokers from a repute that can really pound the table on them. Instead, we just see endless price target cuts. One after another after another. But most of all, these beaten down names represent a fundamental misunderstanding of how you should manage your money. I spend a huge amount of time analyzing just these kinds of situations with the CMEC Investing Club as we go over our holdings in the charitable trust. Oh, we do it pretty brutally. We hold ourselves responsible, as you'll see if you join in when we host our monthly virtual meeting tomorrow at noon. So let's go over what's going wrong here. Because that's the only way we can learn from the colossal losses these broken momentum stocks all generate. First, when you take this kind of loss, you can't despair so much that you give up on the stocks as an asset class. Because what happened here is people really did start with a very fine premise. They liked the company. They liked it enough so they bought the shares. They wore all birds and thought, oh, how cool. They could own the stock. They rented the runway, saved a ton of money by not buying a dress. They used their cell phones to speak with doctors and love not having to go in person. They wanted to support electric vehicle makers. Who doesn't want to find the next Tesla? Why not back the safest, most child-friendly gaming platform in the world with Roblox? You know what? That's a terrific starting point. But the problem is the homework, or in this case, the lack thereof. Why don't you invest in something like, that's terrific. But you also have to know the financials. How the company's doing? Is it losing gobs of money? Does it have enough capital to last? Does it have a path to profitability? If you don't ask these questions, you're asking for trouble. It's only a good place to start. Then you have to ask yourself, do these companies have the feel to themselves? There tends to be so many charging station and battery investments, electric vehicles that no one can break through or stand out in particular or stand out before the money runs out. There's so many competitors to all birds and so many copycats to rent the runway or teledoc that there's no moat to their businesses. And most important, when these companies are all collateral damage from what the Fed has to do to tamp down inflation, it's just, it's unnerving, and you don't see it coming. The Fed's cutting off the easy money, easy money that helped create to save us, it helped create to save us from a COVID-related meltdown. That was right. 
But because they printed so much money, everybody could get financing. And you end up with a situation where just about anything can come public. That's inflationary. There was no governor in the system. Certainly not the brokers who made billions of dollars off these deals. Off you. Even as the stocks have imploded in the last six months. Which brings me all the way back to Janie Diamond's weather report. What he's saying when he talks about a hurricane is the inability of the Fed to crush inflation without also crushing the economy. I want you to imagine a hurricane hitting a coastal area. What else do you want to be in? One that's shielded by a big profit stream with a fortress balance sheet, not to mention a dividend or a buyback? Or one that's just an idea or an unprofitable product that happens to have a stock connected to it that you got trapped in? Oh, hey, look, I'm not against growth. I love growth. Last night, I talked about how Amazon, Alphabet, and Meta platforms, formerly known as Facebook, have great balance sheets, fairly consistent growth, and big moats. I know now, for instance, that many of you are worried about the future of Meta now that longtime chief operating officer Sheryl Sandberg announced her resignation from that post today. Now, I know when I spoke to her tonight, I was concerned about the vacuum she might cause after working there for 14 years. And is CEO Mark Zuckerberg's longtime co-leader, going to take the whole business with her. I mean, she, she, she was really part of the whole growth and prosperity. No, that's not going to be the case. She reassured me about the company's big bench and that it was time was right for her to focus on philanthropy. Strong companies like Meta will weather the storm, and their stock should be bought on this weakness. Although I have to admit I will miss Sandberg's tireless effort to steer the company toward helping small businesses prevail, especially during the pandemic. But buy this stock on this weakness. I will say that again tomorrow. I will say it for weeks, months, years. In the end, the new class of disappointed investors needs to start over, this time with an understanding that a product you like doesn't always make for a fantastic investment. As I tell investment club members all the time, there's a right way and a wrong way. Doing the homework about the underlying company and knowing how the economy might impact it, that's often more important than whether you like the product. The bottom line, if you don't know how the companies you own shares in will survive an economic hurricane or even a Fed tightening or two, then just use the product. But don't own, as Leon Trotsky would say, the means of production. Kelly in Minnesota. Kelly! Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good, Kelly. Good to hear from you. Great. Listen, I want to thank Nicole for taking my call. She's, uh, she's great. You've got a great staff. Nicole is terrific. Has smile. Works hard. <laughs> makes us all happy. What's going on? So I'm newer to investing the last few years, and I thought, you know, I've been learning a lot, reading a lot. And January came, and I was like, what am I doing in this market? Uh, my brother is very dedicated to you, watches you all the time. So I turned your show on, and everything you said was just making absolute sense. So I joined your investing club. Oh, I've been reworking, reworking our portfolios. But there's one stock that's just a thorn in my side, and I'm not sure if I, I, I probably should have got out of it sooner. But it's Fubo TV. I don't know if we just ride it out and stay long or cut. A huge loss okay. and, and reinvest. But remember, it doesn't matter whether you take the loss or not. You have a loss. And I think you're going to get some gains. We're going to do some good stuff in the, in the, uh, with the club. You'll have, and I think that what you ought to do is wait till the end of the year. And if you got those good gains like I hope you have, you'll take the loss against it. That will be the plan. Okay, we're going to Dino in Minnesota. Dino. Jimmy Chill, thank Yo. you very much for taking my call, man. Quite welcome. Hey, I took your advice a couple of years ago back in April of 2020, bought uh, the stock. Now I 
cashed out of it about six months ago, and it's back down to pandemic levels. Wondering what you think about uh, Wayfair. All right, so I'm so glad you asked me this call, Dino. I mean, these are great calls. Kelly, thank you for being in the investment club. Dino, listen to me. There's a company called Williams-Sonoma. It reported at the same time as Wayfair. This company is on fire. It is doing every right. It's buying back its stock. It's run by a genius, Laura Albert. And it is all the way down off 26%, down 2% today to 125. And that, my friend, is a... That's the furniture company you want. Now, if you don't know how the companies you own will do in an economic hurricane, thank you, Jamie Dimon, for that weather report, or even a Fed tightening, then just use the product, but don't own the stock. Hey, on Mad Money tonight, you stumped me on a couple of lightning round stocks that I'm going to turn to my homework on two names that Kramerica has its eyes on. And oil and gas companies have reshaped their image. So is it time to embrace the change or just kick them out the door? I'm going to give you my oil manifesto. And Sentinel-1 reported top and bottom line beef for the quarter. And that there was a quarter after reported at the bell. And I'm running through results with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. We got to take some time off last week. Market behaved itself, turning its best performance since the week we found out the COVID vaccines were on the way. And that's only back in November 2020. 
But something else happened while we're on vacation. We got a chance to catch up with the homework. Catch our breath. I come out here every night to answer your questions. Sometimes there are stocks I simply don't, don't know or haven't been following lately. But I always try to circle back for you because the whole point of this show is to help you to become a better investor. And that means taking your stock picks as seriously as I take picks for my own charitable trust, which we'll discuss when we convene our monthly investing club meeting tomorrow at noon. I do hope you will join the club and join us for that talk. So let's go right to it. Um, way back on April 20th, Shannon in Florida asked us about Atlantica Sustainable Infrastructure. That symbol is A-Y. This is a British company that owns a portfolio of energy infrastructure assets, mostly solar with some wind thrown in, although 15% of the business is efficient natural gas and heating, with another 12% being electric transmission assets. Mainly, though, Atlantic has a renewable energy play that's mainly focused on North America and Europe, although they also got this meaningful South African kicker. More importantly, Atlantic's sustainable infrastructure is a dividend play. They distribute a massive chunk of change to their shareholders that gives it stock a juicy 5.5% yield. Atlantica came public in the United States almost eight years ago. In June of 2014, a horrible time for alternative energy because it was right, because, uh, right before oil prices collapsed, making renewables a lot less attractive in comparison. Atlantica plunged from $40 in the first few months of its trading to a low of roughly $13 when oil finally bottomed in February of 2016. That was a tough run. Brutal. When oil's at $40 or $50 a barrel, wind and solar are a lot less competitive. Hey, but when oil's at $115 like it is now, it's a different story. Very different. Sure enough, when oil and natural gas started bouncing off their COVID lows two years ago, Atlantica stock made a fabulous comeback. But in the last six months, it's come uncoupled from fossil fuel prices. Like virtually every other alternative energy play, this one peaked last November. Fed falling from $41 at its highs down to $32 today. And that's down slightly from where it was trading when Shannon asked us about it. And honestly, I think this pullback's absurd. The fact you can buy Atlantica down nearly 10 bucks from its peak is a gift. This is a good, solid business with solid production growth for renewable energy over the past three years, including a big jump in 2021. Just as important, the company's cash flow is steadily rising. And that translates directly into what we like best to man money higher dividends. In short, Atlantic is a real company that sells real stuff at at a profit, returns those profits to shareholders while still having relatively cheap stock. It's exactly what we like in this high inflation environment where the Fed's slamming the brakes on the economy. I think a lot of investors have been reflexively just dumping the alternative energy plays, even though the good ones are very direct beneficiaries to sky high oil and gas prices. And look, Atlantic gives you real protection with that dividend. Plus, we know the business is doing well because Atlantica just reported a solid quarter three weeks ago. They had 7% comparable revenue growth, yet the stock actually dropped 5% on the day the numbers came out. Largely, I think, because early to mid-May was such a dark time for the market. Couldn't find any other reason why it went down. All things considered, I like this. Atlantica's sustainable infrastructure is a good pick at these levels, in large part because I don't see it having much more downside. Meanwhile, they're paying that uh, to wait with a rebound, glorious 5.5% yield. Of course, there are other high-quality utilities with renewable energy kickers. You know I like American Electric Power. Dominion, this Semper Energy is one of the great growth utilities of all time. But this one's much closer to pure play with a far uh, more bountiful yield. You got my blessing. Buy it. That's, you know I don't do that easily on homework. Now, next up, May 17th, Mark, Wisconsin. Called about a company called Digital Bridge. That's DBRG. Now, I, I'd only heard of it because they announced a deal to buy Switch last month. But otherwise, I didn't know much about it. 
Hey, it turns out there's a reason for that. Digital Bridge is a new name for an old business. It used to be known as Colony Capital before it rebranded roughly a year ago. The old Colony Capital was a REIT founded over 30 years ago by Tom Barrack, the real estate mogul and political donor, good friend of former President Trump I've interviewed him many times. But last year, Barrack was charged with acting as an agent of a foreign government, obstruction of justice, and making false statements to federal law enforcement. Barrack got ousted last year, but the old Colony Capital started transforming itself well before his legal troubles. Back in 2019, they struck a deal to buy a digital infrastructure company called Digital Bridge, and they ultimately took that name. Before the deal, the company was 80% hotels, offices, warehouses, and retail. Now it's 70% digital assets like data centers, cell towers, and fiber network properties. For years, the stock was an underperformer. But in early 2021, the shift to digital infrastructure had given the stock a new lease on life. Then that former CEO got indicted for allegedly doing some illegal lobbying on behalf of the United Arab Emirates. The stock spent the better part of the year stuck between six and eight. Lately, though, it's been hit along with the rest of the market, bottoming at $5.27 last month. Even after the fabulous market-wide rebound last week, Digital Bridge is still below 6 bucks. Where do I come down on this one? First, I do think Digital Bridge is heading in the right direction. Relatively new CEO Mark Gansey has a long history of investing in cell towers and data centers. To me, that's a much better business than hotels, offices, and retail right now. And they keep expanding the digital side of the business. They made a series of little acquisitions this year, buying some data centers from Cyrus One. Remember, we've had them on a bunch of times. Picking up a European cell tower outfit called Telenet. And, of course, there's the $11 billion Switch deal. Switch owns a portfolio of massive data centers. We've been watching that one uh, since last, late last summer when the activist investors at Elliott Management announced that they'd taken a stake in the company. Looks like they convinced management to sell. However, while I believe Digital Bridge is making some good moves, that doesn't mean it's essentially good for your portfolio. In part, that's because this thing is a very complicated corporate structure. But mainly it's because Digital Bridge is, just isn't that profitable at the moment. This is a market that prices profitability above all else, as I say over and over again. Most importantly, though, you can get exposure to the same themes with some much more straightforward companies. You want sell towers? Hey, how about American Tower? Massively pro- uh, profitable company with a stock that's done nicely from its highs last year. It's down enough to be able to, I'd say, buy it. One data centers, I like Equinix or Digital Realty, which is up a quick 7% since I highlighted as an accidental high yield just two weeks ago. Bottom line, after looking into both stories, you got my blessing right here to buy this Atlantica uh, Sustainable Energy, uh, Sustainable Infrastructure. What a good company. When it comes to Digital Bridge, what can I say? You got better options. Man, money's back after the break. Coming up, powerful thoughts on oil and gas. Kramer's Energy Manifesto. Next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Let's talk about oil. 
A few years ago, I told you the oil stocks were simply uninvestable because they had no discipline. Every time the price of crude went up, they drilled like crazy. And just as important and at times, yes, more important, their total indifference to the environment was turning them into corporate pariahs. I was starting to think they were like big tobacco. That's no longer the case. Obviously, there's still fossil fuel companies. They can't change the stripes like that. There's only so much they can improve when it comes to global warming. But the vast majority of these companies have proven to me without a doubt that they have made major strides toward becoming better corporate citizens. And they're actually investing heavily in a decarbonized future. Even Larry Fink, the head of ETF kingpin BlackRock, a man I most admire, and at one time may be the most outspoken critic of fossil fuel producers, has come around on the importance of the group. Fink wants a net zero carbon world more than anyone I know in the big time investing world. But as he said in his recent letter to CEOs, the transition to net zero is already uneven with different parts of the global economy moving at different speeds. It will not happen overnight. We need to pass through shades of brown to shades of green. Then he went on to talk about natural gas as a cleaner bridge fuel to a green renewable era and even hydrogen generated future, which is something I really hope so myself. See, his support, because he is a visionary, went a long way toward convincing me that rapid decarbonization is simply not viable as much as I favored. But none of that matters when it comes to the most powerful man in the world, and that's the president of the United States. Joe Biden seems to have it in for the oil companies, frankly, in a way that's unprecedented in modern American history, even as the companies themselves have finally gotten religion on climate change. Exxon's got a new board that's shockingly pro-environmental. Chevron decided last fall to more than triple the amount of money it's spending to lower its carbon footprint. They're going to spend $10 billion by 2028. It actually hurts their earnings that they're doing it. They don't care. And, of course, the whole industry has made major changes to the way it operates, changes that are much better for the environment. But what do they get from the White House? Pure whiplash. Six months ago, Biden was thrilled the oil companies had dramatically cut back their joy. Good for fighting global warming. Now that the price of crude's going through the roof, Biden desperately needs them to ramp up production immediately in order to lower the cost of your gasoline. But at this time, uh, his administration still wants to put the whole industry out of business, from what I can tell, over the long haul. Politics aside, that's not a good way to get companies to do what you want. Recent events have made it crystal clear that we need a thriving oil industry in this country, like it or not. Look, we never want to end up like Europe, ever, especially Germany, where they're now hostage to an extremely unfriendly neighbor, namely Russia. Believe it or not, the Russians have received more than $30 billion from the EU since they invaded Ukraine for energy. European energy purchases are more or less bankrolling Russia's insane war of aggression. All this is because Germany shut down many of its nuclear plants in an effort to go green, even if it meant replacing carbon-free nukes with carbon-intensive Russian natural gas. Do you really think Putin would have had the guts to invade Ukraine if Western Europe had its own sources of fuel? No way. Oh, and while the EU's partial embargo on Russian oil can certainly make some difference, their need for natural gas is a much bigger deal, and they won't lift a finger to jeopardize that business. It's possible Putin's stalling for time as he kills lots of Ukrainians, not to mention his own soldiers, waiting for winter when he can do real damage to Europe by cutting off the natural gas spigot. We never want anything like that to happen in the United States, especially now that we have 100 years worth of natural gas that we can rely on for our own energy needs. If we had the infrastructure, especially the pipelines, we'd have more than enough fuel to make North America totally self-sufficient on the fuel front. Which brings me to the second reason why Biden's relationship with the oil industry needs to change. If you ever want to see the price of pump, uh, at the pump to come down, we can't just rely on OPEC to help us. Saudi Arabia's not coming to our rescue. Nor can we rely on the endless drainage of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. We're already releasing a million barrels per day, and it's done nothing. 
Listen, I get why the White House has such a conflicted attitude toward oil. They want to fight global warming. Yay, that's an admirable goal. But they also know the American people won't put up with high gasoline prices, and the oil companies hold the key to pushing them back down. But the Biden White House doesn't seem to know how to break bread with this industry. Earlier this week, Biden published a piece in the Wall Street Journal where he talked about cutting down on inflation with alternative energy, not cooperation with the real producers of mass energy. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen just talked about unused leases. Well, why would these guys want to use them when the president keeps suggesting they'll be out of business in the not-too-distant future? She says the canceled Keystone pipeline wouldn't have mattered, wouldn't have made much difference. But it signals to the industry that they won't have the infrastructure they need to take their product to market. It's very expensive. Keystone would have brought heavy crude from Canada right to the refineries we designed to handle it. We now have all this refinery capacity we can't even really use with our lighter homegrown oil. We were importing crude from Russia earlier this year, for heaven's sake, simply because we lacked the pipelines to get North American oil from where it's produced to where it's needed. You can't make it up. If Biden really wants the oil companies to boost the production, this kind of talk is not going to help. Why would the industry cooperate with a president who seems to view them as the enemy? Here's what our go-to man for all things energy says, Rusty Brazil. If President Biden were to start sending signals that oil and gas can be a part of a long-term solution, then these companies will be much more willing to drill aggressively. But if the president keeps hinting that they should be out of business in a couple of decades, well, he won't lift a finger to help get the price down. They won't do it. They just won't. They'd rather just keep printing money and rewarding their shareholders with handsome dividends. How could Biden signal such a change? He could propose raising the tax credits for carbon sequestration as an incentive to drill more. He could say that he recognizes the need for more pipelines in order to get natural gas to where it's needed, so the process must be streamlined. And he could encourage with tax incentives the development of more liquefied natural gas facilities that can be used to export this stuff to Russia, which is desperate for non-Russian fossil fuels, particularly our own LNG. Presidents talked about the importance of liquefied natural gas, then failed to work with the relevant companies to make that dream a reality. This is tragic because more LNG exports could help end the Russian stranglehold on on Europe while also alleviating the global energy shortage. But it won't happen because the White House can't figure out how to approach the oil industry, even as these companies are doing their best to become more environmentally friendly in order to appease a new generation of investors that actually cares about this stuff. I know there are competing interests here, which is why Biden's approach seems so confused. But this is a binary choice. You want to fight global warming with a real hard line against oil companies, or you want lower prices at the pump? Can't have both. The White House is trying to thread the needle, which is a sure way to alienate everyone. Bottom line, even if you think the oil companies are heinous enterprises bent on destroying the environment, we have no choice but to embrace them. Because like it or not, our economy still runs on oil and gas, both of which are too darn expensive without more drilling from U.S. producers. And that's simply not going to change by the time the next presidential election rolls around. Martin in Georgia, Martin. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Uh, Yes, sir. As a result of my brother passing away in 2020, I have an investment portfolio in which this energy refiner is number five in my positions, top positions. And you mentioned a couple weeks ago about investing with lithium-ion batteries. This refiner... Uh, early this year, brought a, bought a 16% stake in Novavoks Limited, an Australian company producing lithium-ion batteries. And actually, today, they signed a letter of intent with another company to have EV charging stations. They also invest in um, hydrogen fuel cell and taking commercial grease from kitchens and turning it into biofuels. Can we uh, add... Do, my question is, do you believe... 
we can get our kicks out of having Phillips 66 in your investment portfolio. I, I think PSX is, a, is an amazing company. I like them. I like Valero, too. But you're right. PSX is, again, one of these companies trying, trying to do the right thing. Refines a dirty business trying to do the right thing. I think PSX stock is going higher. I think you have a good one. I'm sorry about the loss of your brother, but I got to tell you, you're doing the right thing for your family. It's the right thing. Jeremiah in Florida. Jeremiah. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Long-time listener. Happy to be on the show today. Fantastic. Want to get your thoughts on a company that recently hit their 52-week high. However, last week their CEO sold 30,000 shares. Diamondback Energy. Travis Dice, the CEO of Diamondback Energy, is a visionary. And Diamondback is an amazing company that is certainly welcome in anyone's portfolio. Why don't we own it for my Chapel Trust? Because we own... We own almost every darn one. We can't run every, every one. But wow, Fang is a great company. By the way, that's the new Fang, Diamondback, not the old Fang, a term I created that I no longer use. Right now, some may despise the oil and gas giants, and I understand that. But when it comes down to it, our economy is still dependent on them right now. And we've got to embrace them if we're going to get the price of gasoline down at the pump. There's much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with Sentinel One. Pressure off earnings. Does the cybersecurity company have what it takes to defend itself in this market? I'm checking with the CEO. And insider buying is one of the most important moves I track. And I'm reviewing a few companies that might be worth buying alongside some high-profile executives if you take a long-term view. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. In this merciless market, and you know it is, if you're not turning a profit, Wall Street's got no interest, even when we're talking about rapidly growing companies with exposure to powerful long-term themes. So take Sentinel One. That's that cybersecurity software play we've had on a couple of times. It came public last summer, initially saw its stock double. Wow. Where it peaked last November, along with everything else because the Fed got tough. Since then, Sentinel One stock is down nearly 70% from its highs. And that's after the big bounce last week. Of course, this is all about the Wall Street fashion show, not about Sentinel. Business is solid. They just reported tonight. Results were pretty good. I think there was more positive than negative. Company delivered a top and bottom line beat with monster 109% revenue growth and gave excellent revenue guidance. But we also have to ask about cash flows and operating margin forecasts. I think this one's an important bellwether for a whole segment. So let's check in with Tomer Weingarten. He's the C, he's the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Sentinel One. Get a better read in the quarter. Mr. Weingarten, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jim. All right, so Tommy, you keep winning a lot of business, and you keep getting more and more business. And you say you're taking share. Can I? Can you describe who you're taking share from? Um, you know, we're, we're taking obviously a lot of share from incumbents, but today, what we do, you know, it's such a broad-based platform that we don't even just play in one market. We play in the endpoint market, in the cloud market, you know, data processing and data analytics. So we're taking share from a lot of incumbents out there that I think are getting antiquated with their technology stack. Um, and with us, I mean, we're a cloud-native platform. There's a lot to be had, a ton of market opportunity. Tomer, when I take a look at Microsoft Azure, you mentioned that the Defender had a problem. You caught it. So obviously you're taking some share there with Microsoft. 
Yeah, you know, coincidentally, another vulnerability in the Microsoft product line today. Um, and I think we're just seeing more and more customers getting completely disillusioned with Microsoft's ability to actually protect them. I think they need more investment in their own product set, in their own technology stack, improving security, operational security in that, and less focus on just security revenues. Um, so all in all, it kind of feels like when people want best of breed security, they go to the standalone vendors. Well, I've got to tell you, there's, uh, it's obviously a very important time for you, because as you say, on the day of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Sentinel Labs researchers reported a new cyber attack named the malware. That, that's when you, you said it was uh, hermetic, this hermetic wiper. What I'm concerned about is some people say that the Russians stopped doing. We've heard that the Russians stopped doing cyber attacks since the war began. That's obviously not true. No, it's, it's not true. And it's been, you know, mainly confined to, uh, to kind of the, the Eastern, you know, part of the world, Ukraine and Eastern Europe. But I do feel, and we've seen it already, there are leakage points. Um, you know, the Viasat attack was one of those. I mean, it affected customers all across Europe. Um, so right now, it still remains to be seen. I do want to say that, you know, we're seeing um, less activity than we anticipated out of Russia in the cyber front, of course. Um, but that that can change. That can always change. So we're keeping a very close eye. OK, so no, I, I love the customer wins. I love the retention. I do want to know because so many companies uh, have not had stocks that go up because the cash flow may not be as strong or because guidance is for larger than expected operating losses. And you may fit that uh, that rubric. And I'm concerned that people will say, well, wait a second, the operating loss is too large. I can't own Sentinel One. Yeah. I mean, look, to us, it's all about investing back in the business. The market opportunity is so big that for us, it, it really is about taking the cash that we generate. And we have ample cash on the balance sheet, you know, a billion point two. So of, overall, for us, it's about grabbing more market share and really optimizing for the long term. And you see, you see us hand in hand improving gross margin in a very, very substantial way, 15 percentage point year over year, operating margin improving 54 percentage points year over year. I mean, these are massive improvements. Our business is super efficient. We're investing back to, to grow, to grow faster and to grow and grab more market share, which, as you can see, I mean, incumbents are incredibly weak. That's what you want us doing as a growth company. At the same time, I mean, you said, how is that uh, Ativo Networks acquisition working out? Because identity theft is incredibly important. Yeah, I mean, look, the threat landscape has shifted towards exploiting users and towards identity-borne attacks. So that plays exactly into that, um, you know, into that very wide gap that we see today for all cybersecurity vendors. There are not not many cybersecurity vendors with the ability to protect identities. We're one of two. So that plays, you know, great into that, into that narrative. It also fuels our growth. It's completely accretive, and also we kept our operating expense pretty much intact, the same guidance that we give, even though we're now operating as another company that we're integrating with, um, it doesn't really touch our envelope for spend for the year. And to me, that's a big positive. No, that's a great point. Uh, and it's one that I've got to be careful on, too. You did keep the guidance intact. And otherwise, you might have said because of the acquisition that you can't. That is very, very important for people. Uh, I, I, I'm not trying to make any, make excuses. I'm just saying that this is a better answer about why people are concerned, because they shouldn't be given the fact that you made the acquisition, and the acquisition is accretive. Tomer Weingarten, the co-founder and CEO of Sentinel One, thank you so much for coming on the show, and Thank I hope you. to see you soon. 
Remember, I'm trying people to like go over these situations where they're not making money, but they're growing very fast so that you have a better handle on what you buy so you're not bummed out when a company is losing money, stock doesn't go right up because a lot of them aren't. Man, money's back into the break. Just chill out. Is this Chill Master Jay? The chill man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns. It is time. Some of the lightning round could match the one that's only just heavily sitting in his name, Blenzy. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Keep that. Time to the lightning round. I'm going to start with Mike in Michigan. Mike, hit me. Hey, Jim, this is Mike in Sanford Lake, Michigan. I uh, have two stocks I'd like to input on. The first one is InMode. InMode, uh, you know, look, InMode's a medical device company. Today, Danaher, which is a great medical device company, was upgraded, and the stock didn't even go up. What an opportunity. I'd rather upgrade your portfolio and go with Danaher. HB in Texas, HB. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, man, I'm calling about uh, Boise Cascade. All right, now, Boise Cascade, we, this is one of those where it's now valued as, as, as people think it's going to have a doozy recession. It sells at four times earnings. I'm a buyer of a stock that sells at four times earnings, even though I expect those estimates would come down. Mark in Wisconsin. Mark! Jim, I uh, got a stock in the logistics sector, a trucking firm based here in Wisconsin. Uh, the ticker symbols MRTN, buy, sell, or hold. Good Mark company, Trump. makes things, does stuff, rewards shareholders, value reasonably, buy. Mike in Florida, Mike, Mike, Mike. Jimmy Chill, what's going oh, on? What are you I up there? This, I wanted to get your opinion on the company Doximity. Uh, I've been wrong about Doximity. I felt it was the way to be able to, to uh, get to doctors, to be able to advertise things, because that's what they love. It has not meant a thing. Why? It's not meant a thing because it makes very little money. And yet I stick by it because it's going to make a lot of money. Jacob in Florida. Jacob. Hey, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Love your show. Appreciate your expertise. Oh, thank you. Question about AT&T. I have a large percentage of my investment in AT&T stocks. I was waiting for the uh, WBD spinoff. What is your projection? Well, I think the spin-off, the spin-off was a really good one for ATT. okay? They did cut the dividend, but it is good, and it makes, makes them more focused, and it offloaded a lot of debt on this uh, worldwide uh, Time Warner, Discover Worldwide Time Warner. I mean, they offered so much debt to them, I can never recommend that stock. But ATT is okay now. They got rid of a lot of debt. That's what I wanted. How about Megan in New York? Megan. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I'm good. How about you? Pretty good. I just uh, wanted to ask you what your thoughts were on Olaplex. See, when I see a stuff like that, I just say, why not buy Procter Gamble? I mean, Procter Gamble's down today. Somebody cut numbers. It was ridiculous. I thought the company's doing incredibly well. We talk about it tomorrow on the channel at my uh, 12 o'clock conference call for the people who are belong to the CNBC Investing Club. That's the better buy. Ross in Texas. Ross. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Ross. Uh, I'm calling today to call uh, to ask about IDEX Lab, IDXX. But, you know, this is for veterinary. It's really been crushed. But you know what? I've got this Zoetis that Christian Peck runs, and she is so good, and that stock is so good, and that is the one to buy. And that one also is down 31%. That's a nice acquisition. Steven in Florida. Steven. 
Hey, Jim, how are you this evening? I am doing well. How about you? I'm doing well, thank you. Jim, I was wondering if you could give me your take on a uh, oncology pharmaceutical company whose symbol is V-E-R-U. Okay, V-E-R-U is a very speculative situation, okay? They've got uh, some possibly really terrific stuff for uh, COVID, but it is it is very speculative and therefore not for me to recommend. It has had a not it has a it's up a hundred percent. Let's go to Joel in California. Joel, Jim, how you doing? Joel from Los Angeles. Hey, Joel, Land how you been? Free. How you been? I'm doing all right, Jim. At this point, I feel like I'm stuck in a really bad marriage, and I just got so much invested. At this point, I don't know if it's worth it for me to walk away or just stay with it. I've read so much about avionics and aviation in the last three years, I feel like I should be leading the FAA. That would probably be the best case scenario for this company. I know you've talked about it a million times. I know you've left it. What's the deal with Boeing? We got look, some good news. Boeing, recently. look, I mean, one day it'll come back. I just got tired. I'm upgrading my portfolio. I think that it's bottoming. But so what? There's so many better uh, so many better stocks. You don't need to own Boeing. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the good of the lightning round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, a new meaning to Intel Inside. And a tall order for Starbucks, next. When insiders sell their own stocks, well, it can have many reasons. Could be uh, estate planning issues, divorce settlements. Maybe they just need cash for the down payment or new house. Insider selling is never a positive, but it's not necessarily a negative. Sometimes it means nothing. Ah, but when insiders buy, the only, they only buy for one reason. They think the stock's headed higher. They're going to make money. That's why I'm always so intrigued to see insider buying some iconic companies. Companies like Intel, where three insiders have bought stock recently, including the CEO. Companies like CSX, the railroad, Centene, the health insurance play. Home Depot, which speaks for itself. Morgan Stanley. And, of course, the mother of all insider buying Howard Schultz, the returning interim CEO of Starbucks, spending $15 million on his own stock. According to CBC's own Robert Franks reporting, this may be the tip of the iceberg of the insider buying wave. What's the significance of insider buying? to you as someone who's trying to figure out what stock to buy. Well, sometimes it confirms what you already know. I, I like Home Depot going into this year, and I still like it. Same goes for the rest. Morgan Stanley is a key holding for my charitable trust. We'll make sure to cover it at our monthly investing club meeting tomorrow at noon. Centene's tougher. They lost their amazing CEO, Michael Nidorf, who was a real straight shooter and also had a huge heart, always helping the disadvantage. But where the insider buying really matters are the cases where it changes your mind. For example... These purchases have made me more positive about Intel and Starbucks. Insiders can't sell their stock for six months after they buy it uh, without giving up their gains. That's federal law. So you know none of these people are buying buying the stock right now to take advantage of something near term. These buyers are making a commitment for something big down the road. So what could these three insiders see in Intel? I think they're probably enamored of the work done so far by CEO Pat Gelsinger, especially since he himself is one of the buyers. I've often called Gelsinger an an evangelist for bringing back American semiconductor manufacturing, not just designing chips, but actually making them here. He's spearheading a move to open up a gigantic plant. Oh, it's going to be a series of plants in Ohio where he thinks he can develop a mini Silicon Valley in the Rust Belt. That plan needs federal help, which it might very well get. But he's not waiting for it. Supposedly breaking ground maybe in July. 
That said, I think that Intel stock is the real driver. Gelsinger's got big goals, like returning Intel to its roots as the market leader, upending the new uh, pecking order that sees NVIDIA and AMD as the top dogs in high-performance computing. Oh, don't forget, he can spin off the uh, mobile line. It's supposed to happen soon. Can he do it? Well, you know, I've had my doubts. I've said them. I've articulated them here on the show. The insider buying tempers those doubts, though. It makes me find the stock a little more compelling, 3.3% yield. The plan for Intel's greatness is a bold one, and it makes me feel more confident knowing the people running this show are putting their money where their mouth is. The toughest one to rationalize is the big insider purchased by Howard Schultz at Starbucks. Here's a company that Schultz himself just told you was lacking in many ways. He doesn't like the way the stores are set up, especially for the incredibly popular cold drinks. He stated the previous management failed to engage workers in a warmer, more rewarding way. That could put a little nascent unionization movement at Starbucks if he does better, but it could also hurt margins if Schultz has to pay people more to fend off the unions. Plus, Starbucks has a lot of exposure to China, which has become a very difficult place to do business thanks to the COVID lockdown, although that might be coming to an end. Of course, Howard's rich enough that a $15 million investment, it's not a gigantic amount for him. And if you think he's making it better himself, he's only running things temporarily until they find a new CEO. That said, again, Howard didn't need to buy a single share. I think he sees things he likes. I think he's going to take the hit with the workers, but at the same time reopen China. That, to me, says maybe you wait a quarter or even two until we get closer to these moves paying off. But also means if Starbucks keeps dropping, you might want to be a buyer in large part because Howard Schultz is buying it, too. And if we get a couple more insider buyers like at Intel, i just tell you to buy it right here. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.